0: Repodcasting is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Have you ever watched a movie and wondered why they cast that woman or that guy? Well, here's our chance to give it a try for repodcasting. Hello and welcome to another episode of Repodcasting. Today is a special bonus episode. We are interviewing Calgarian filmmaker Berkeley Brady. Welcome, Berkeley. Hello.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for doing this. I'm really excited. Yeah. Berkeley is coming to us from the recently finished film Dark Nature. And, uh, we're going to be playing Dark Nature at the Calgary International Film Festival. We're so excited about that. So before we begin, um, I actually wanted to kind of go back to your origins. So how did you decide you wanted to work in film? Where did that come Uh, about? It's a good question. I think it came from
1: actually writer's block. I did a degree in creative writing at the University of Victoria, which um, I really struggled through and actually totally killed my love of writing and joy of writing. So I was just like depressed in in my early 20s in Victoria, staring on like a rainy day at an empty page and just (laughs) thinking like, is this going to be my whole life, just alone in a room writing? There must be another way to tell stories. And so I actually just started doing a lot of illustration and photography and people started responding to that by just asking me to do like posters or CD designs or things like that and through that I got a job when I graduated through actually a telefilm initiative that was meant to develop producing talent so yeah that was really amazing actually so it's really cool actually how to see how much telefilm has actually nurtured my career Um, it's amazing yeah humbling (laughs) I'm very (laughs) grateful to them but um, so I started just as an assistant for a documentary company. Oh. Yeah, so that's where I learned editing, editing on the Avid at that time. It was very different. This was like... 2006 or 7 and then I moved to Toronto and kept working as an assistant for different filmmakers and basically just being like a broke artist um, living with my friends in like a law <laughs> apartment with no sound privacy oh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was going to say like oh living with your friends in Toronto seems fun but then the no privacy part <laughs> hey,
1: hey, hey. Is... <laughs> we were young you know, we still, were still like this is fine and, and looking back it was really um, creative time I learned a lot um, one of my roommates, her name is Erin Robinson, and she's an incredible poet, writer, and modern dancer. So I just learned so much from her. And huh. yeah, so it was great to just, um, and the stuff she's doing now is equally inspiring. So, and then after that point, I started thinking, okay, like film is an option, but it still felt so intimidating. And I don't think I ever really thought, like, what is a director or that I could be one. I really just didn't at that time. It wasn't really on the table. It seemed just so unattainable. Right. Yeah. And then I started dating a musician, a guy who was from the States. And so we started just going to different places in the States, including New York. And I realized, oh, it's not like I don't have to be intimidated of it here. And, oh, there's a really good film school here.
0: Mm. You know, and then L.A.
1: and there's some good ones here. So I applied to a couple different film programs for the MFA and then ended up going to Columbia. And then that was the point at which it's like just time wise and financially, it's like, I'm getting married to film. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah, so it's a cool. big investment, like for anyone at any grad program. Yeah, I yeah. Bet. So it was just like, I, you, you really, it was like jumping off a cliff. It was like, there's no going back. I could just ruin my whole life or I could live my dream. Like, it's going to be one or the other. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to accept that.
0: Well, it sounds like you're, very creative in general I mean you were writing and then you were drawing and photography and film like it's all creative endeavors so that's really impressive that Uh, you know you've managed to continue in a field that requires you to be creative
1: yeah yeah thank you I think it's a good thing and I think a lot of artists have sort of a reason why they got that way I'd say probably for me it was growing up just with my parents outside of Edmonton on an acreage. I just was my own friend with my dog probably for the first five years of my life. I had like some little friends, but we lived in a pretty remote area and um, I spent a lot of time just in nature. Mm. And I think that that is really great for your brain and making up stories. And yeah, it always just stories were always something that I was surrounded by Mm. and that I really loved hearing and reading and um, then... It's like, oh, I can do it too. Like, I didn't actually really think about it. Okay. Yeah, it just kind of was like, guys, I'm writing a story. I'm putting out a play. Sit down. What? <laughs>
0: <like>, oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, well, I was going to ask if you always wanted to direct, but you've already answered that.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good question. I think, like, it's funny being on set too because, you know, even on this one, there's a lot of people in the crew who are like, well, I want to direct. And it's like to people, even myself, did I have any idea what directing really meant? I think that's maybe an interesting I, like, concept of what is the job really yeah. and what's expected of you. And it, it is actually like, this is great coming to the podcast and getting to go around with the film. And there's so many amazing parts, but there's so much about it that I'm like, who would ever want to do this? Like, oh, well, <laughs> There's so much, um, so much of it is about leadership accountability so when things go wrong even if I couldn't have done anything or I thought something different was happening like people get mad at you it's a lot of just like time management
0: okay and
1: a lot of um just listening but I think it is an incredible job as well as as much as I am like ah production is rough (laughs) post-production is awesome and I like pre-production and (laughs) development. yeah
0: okay that's (laughs) interesting yeah, I guess a lot of people go into this field because they're creative people. But then you have to access the opposite part where it's like you have to be very organized and, and be leading. And it's less about just making art. Yeah, exactly. And I
1: think that's almost like not really taught at the schools oh, wow. as well. Like there's a lot of emphasis on the creativity and the craft, which is really exciting and important. But if one of my favorite things is doing my shot lists and collecting references and images and almost mood boards for different scenes of the film. And I'm alone in my little office, just, you know, with music on, or I have, a robot therapy, like, I'm like, this is heaven. And that is the opposite environment. Like the introvert in me that is, does the actual creative work Mm -hmm. is just horrified by like, and so really, like, I'm so tired, like during production, because it's like, you're, you really don't get any time to. There's zero balance.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially
1: in indie film. It it was like 16-hour days for me for six weeks with no day off. Oh, boy. Yeah, so we Mm. had weekends off, but you're like putting up fires or doing the script, making corrections. So it's just, I think it's, um, yeah, it's very much the opposite of that, like, arty kind of creative thing, and both are part of it.
0: Right. (laughs) That's so interesting that it's also not taught or emphasized in film school yeah yeah
1: leadership I think aspect because um, and I think it's interesting to see I think some people are just natural leaders Mm -hmm. um, and some people are think that they are and they're just bosses or they're bossy (laughs) sometimes you have to be bossy and then I think it's always interesting being a woman because we don't have that many role models for just like positive assertion Mm -hmm. and there's people who just simply don't want to be told What to do from a woman. They just don't.
0: Yeah, And you can
1: can feel it. But then there's people who probably don't want that from a man either. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's like just getting those um, role models. I think we're still, I can think of like two females that I saw directing with big responsibility. And I really, I remember watching them and just being like, whoa, okay, how did she deal with that actor? Um, Sort of challenging her or how did... Because it, there's just a different sometimes approach that people mm-hmm. expect or that you have to
0: work around. Wow.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: That throws an extra wrench into the <laughs> plan. <laughs> it does. It's a little, it's a little extra challenge. Yeah. But I think,
1: um, yeah, there's probably things too that it's just it's just the personalities and mm-hmm. the mix that you're going to have on each set of personalities is always different. So I think that's yeah, of what's different about like other businesses. You know, you might get to go – you don't have like HR and work where you go to yeah. pay. You have established, it's like, this project's this pe- people, this project's those people. hmm
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, I'll talk a little bit about Dark Nature without spoiling okay. anything. Yes. Hard to do that. <laughs> I know. Um, so it's about a therapy group that goes on a camping retreat in the Canadian Rockies, where they face a threat more terrifying than the monsters of their past. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so it is classified as a horror film. Yeah. And so is horror a genre that you gravitate towards that like what kind of horror movies have inspired you? That's a great question.
1: I definitely have always loved The Exorcist. I think that's definitely one of the best movies just ever. And, um, I love The Descent. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is many ways, just like my low budget (laughs) homage to The Descent, um, then I I think that horror is a really incredible genre because almost it isn't like, quote unquote, prestigious or even like cool. Maybe it's changing now with like Jordan Peele. He's kind of making it cool, but like it hasn't really been in its own. It's like a place for almost the outcasts and even the outcasts and taboos in the world of ideas. So I think that as an artist to say, like, there is this one realm where people say we want to explore the whole range of the human condition and look at even like the ugliest, most disgusting things. But that is part of the human experience. So horror allows room for that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: so it's really, I think, interesting. When I first started doing more horror, a lot of my friends, people are like,
0: oh, I don't like it. (laughs) It's like, yeah,
1: I don't know. I just feel like the rebel in me wants to kind of see what I could do over here Sure. and as I've been in the genre and learning more about just horror fans and the community and realized like no I've always been like really interested in horror and (laughs) I love that there is a community and people are really passionate and I love being a part of
0: it. Oh cool. Yeah. I... I have to admit, I'm one of those chickens who, like, avoided horror for a very long time. And just in the past couple of years, I've been kind of forcing myself. I still haven't seen The Exorcist, which is just a crime. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) You will love it. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because what's been surprising for me is that so many, or let's say the good horror films tend to speak to so much more than just what you're seeing. And, you know, they're very much like a metaphor for something in society. And I think that in Dark Nature too, like you manage to weave this horror tale into also talking about trauma. Yeah. Which is really cool. Really well done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. And I think too, just in,
1: I was thinking about how And it's funny, too, because even now I feel like, oh, these ideas are almost like two or three years old, like the culture and the zeitgeist is moving so fast Okay. from the time we like write a script and get it through development to actually make the film. It's like, I I think the idea about trauma, it's I think even as culture four or five years ago, it was still like, wait, what's that about? How do you talk about that? Now it's almost like, oh, man, another like female empowerment stalking movie or something like, you know, like people (laughs) are like we get it now like what's next and i hope that what's still working in the film is that we can talk about trauma and people can talk about um sort of understanding their trauma but this movie takes off from that point of already having trauma as those were like a lot of horror films i feel like leave with a very traumatized group of people okay this one's like these people yeah they already are they're working on it and that doesn't mean it's going to stop so it's like for, for me, when I was this last year, it's like COVID was this trauma that we've all gone through. And then it's like the war in Ukraine. And now there's like Roe v. Wade not happening. And it's just like, oh, it doesn't matter like what you're working on. Like the world is going to keep just throwing things at you. And that's life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Man. <laughs> life is uh, life these days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And
1: it's like, you know, the environment, like the things we actually are facing are so enormous, yeah, and like, what do we? How do we live with that? And so, I think this is in this in this story. I just for me, that's like a meta- the metaphor that's kind of there. It's like, how do you live with these difficult things? And for these characters, it's these specific things, yeah. but it's
0: meant as a metaphor. Well, as I mentioned, the film is in the Canadian Rockies. Can you tell me where in Kananaskis you filmed? Yeah,
1: we filmed um, this place called Jura Creek. Okay. So, you know, when you're going on the highway towards Canmore mm-hmm. and there's that big factory oh, yes. near the lake, mm-hmm. sort of behind there. Okay. Yeah, um, cool. so that was one place, the, the big canyon, like the really impressive canyon. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, we had a. A guy on the crew um, who, he's from that territory, mm-hmm. and he actually was saying he was with some elders and talking to them about some of the issues that we had on set, some of the setbacks. And they started laughing, and they were like, oh, that place is actually, like, you're not meant to work there. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> traditionally, it's like, oh. in, like, Blackfoot like, culture, it's, like, known mm. as a as a place that, like, you're supposed to go there to... Um, basically spend time with the spirit or memories of people who've passed, Okay, but you don't really stay that long and you like bring a gift and then you leave. But mm-hmm. the one thing you're not supposed to do there is work. And it's so funny because we got our butts kicked oh, at that no. location. <laughs> so I just was like, ah, that's what was going on. Like I, you could feel something was going wow.
0: on. It's like,
1: darn it. But, you okay. know, even knowing that when I still picked that place, maybe because like where else are you going to find a canyon like that?
0: it's impressive and also that kind of feels like in some ways the production was mirroring what was happening in the film yes
1: i think that always happens
0: yeah yes
1: yeah that's why next time i want to make a movie about everyone getting really rich and just having so much fun great idea that would be really nice if you could like art imitates life oh i love it yeah (laughs)
0: um well we're like some of the terrain that we see on screen is really like what's the word? Like, you've got jagged cliffs and things like that. So, like, did you have a lot of Difficulty in getting to some spots? Like, were there arduous hikes that you had to do?
1: Absolutely. So there was Dura Creek. That was that location. Um, There's the drive there. And then it was about a 20-minute walk from Circus, where the the trailers are, up to where we were shooting. Okay. And then we went to um, the Ice Caves, Hmm. um, just outside of Bright Creek. And just below there, that was sort of um, one of our second locations. And they actually, the new movie, Predator Prey, they actually shot a lot there, too. Oh. So we were um, one of the locations in the water scenes. It's actually in the Predator trailer.
0: Oh, and, cool. <laughs> yeah, and so
1: we, we had already actually scouted that location before we knew that they were going to be there. Mm-hmm. And then I was bringing someone back to scout, and they had a hot tub down there, porta-potties um tons of just like safety people ropes and I was like oh my gosh how did you guys get like porta potties down here like on oh, the helicopter uh, <laughs> it was like the helicopter like we did not have a helicopter we were hiking up and
0: down the hill every time you had to like, <laughs> no. to like go to the bathroom
1: and yeah the crew was was like that was a really hard location for them and I think I learned a lot there I knew it was going to be hard but just even those simple things like going up and down a hill for lunch and then back again. And when you forget something, just those little moments, like it just threw a 16 or 14 hour day in the elements, like it just drains people and everything went so slowly. We had so many problems there and the water is just so powerful. So when we're in the water or crossing it, we just like had great shots where because of the iron content in a rock, we were near the signal dropped. So we had like an amazing shot of Tara, like putting on her hood before, in the water. Yeah. Which will make sense if you see the movie. She like <laughs> nailed it. She's like put up her hood and like dunked. Yeah. And we lost that take. And oh. then it's ice cold so she can't like do it again. The hood's wet now. And so it's like oh, that yeah. moment was supposed to be this like, in my mind, this amazing moment and it kind of was just like,
0: wait, did she put her hood up there? Or, yeah, that <laughs> oh, part didn't no. work as intended. <laughs> oh man. So you just have to kind of roll with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me ask you this. Maybe this might be a contentious question (laughs) (laughs) but so I mean it looks amazing the views are great like it fits this film so well but it was really difficult would you like if you were to go back would you change anything in the movie
1: itself just or
0: like in your production of it like would you Hmm. pick somewhere that's easier to get to or something like that
1: um I think there's little things like practical things we learned for example we bought um generators mm. for the trailers and we bought a package of them that were used and you know when you're buying you have that many trailers you need like eight and it really adds up but then some of those had parts that broke or that didn't work and it's mm-hmm. like that just ruined days or mornings because you can't just run to Home Depot and grab a part it's an hour away
0: Oh gosh. Yeah. so like
1: little things like that um, I'd really just put the money into the sort of infrastructure um it's really hard because yeah it's not like we have all this money that you can just be like okay yeah do this do that but I would Mm -hmm. say that like just getting those um trailers somehow really up and running and making sure that the people who were in charge of that were maybe just had more time being trained Mm -hmm. and more support um because the locations people work so hard. They're there earlier than everyone and they're the last to leave.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah,
1: so they do get breaks in the day and they can like nap and stuff then. But it's like they were just going. Sometimes we're finishing. I could see they were working at 11 and like I knew they were going to be up at 4 a.m. Oh,
0: stuff yeah. like that.
1: And I'm just like, oh, that's <sighs> awful. And then, yeah, I think in terms of locations, I think um, we learned a lot of lessons too. just about um, Making sure that communication is really, really clear around safety. So just oh. making sure we have uh, like double checking that the safety meeting's happening. Not thinking, oh, that person is doing it and it's been done. Like just that. Commun- there was sometimes things that were, um, I feel like, because of miscommunication or injuries. Even you know, you like we lost our step coordinator. Um, yeah, at the Jura Creek location the day before we went into those caves. Oh. And those caves that you see, they're real.
0: Yeah.
1: Like the okay. inside of the cave is in the studio. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: But the outside was real. So, yeah, we had a safety plan for that that this stunt coordinator um, designed, but then he hurt himself the day before. Just walking uphill was like a freak accident. Okay. And then he had a replacement, but he didn't know how to imp- the plan in the way that our safety guy would have so if our original guy was there it would have been so great and smooth everyone we still kept his same plan but just I know that people um really struggled at that location and I I understand why and it it was just like those sort of lessons learned that like oh you don't think that the day that by losing the stunt coordinator is going to have this whole trickle effect on so many people and things
0: like that yeah yeah well speaking of stunts I read that pretty much everything or almost everything I should say is um practical effects real stunts like there's not a lot of you know visual effects yeah yeah Um, was that a conscious decision oh okay
1: yeah absolutely I just thought like CGI I still feel like for the most part it looks different and just has a different feel Mm -hmm. and I just thought like there's a lot of horror sort of tricks and Ways you can work with practicals that actually I think are more powerful. Mm. So we really want to do that, and we spent a lot of money on blood. Oh yeah, on <laughs> big blood. Right, right. That Not real blood. <laughs> Okay, cool.
0: Well, can you tell me a little bit about the film score by the local band Ghostkeeper?
1: Yeah, so we're so happy with the score um, and. We really, I um, was thanks to Mike Peterson, my producer, who connected me with them. I'd heard of Ghost Keeper. they were Métis as well. That was really exciting to me. And um, I met with them one afternoon at their house. And we just sort of talked about the film. They'd seen a cut and talked about ideas, especially around um, using sort of like natural elements to make some of the sounds mm. and different sort of um Instruments. So I know they had, they used like all sorts of interesting kind of instruments. And they ended up actually using a lot more guitar than they had thought and some synth. But I also gave them some examples of of, um, soundtracks I liked. Like I really loved the soundtrack on It Follows. Mm -hmm. That was one. And then I really just left it in their hands, which was a little bit nerve wracking because this is their first full length score. Wow. But it really, really trust their aesthetic, like even just their photographs and the visual art they do, I was like, hmm, they have good taste, okay. <laughs> I can trust these guys. Yes. And then, yeah, there was some back and forth, but they actually just did so much before I even gave notes that there was, while there were changes and while while we did take those, they're called um, stem files, so every sound that they make in their music goes on a different line of a track, okay. so you can kind of, like, remove things oh. and, and you take something and use it again in the actual sound design, mm-hmm. which is really great. So then, once they had they but they really did just create the sound. It really was of their of their total artistry and creation.
0: That's cool. Yeah. yeah. It matches the movie so perfectly. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> nice. I think they're
1: kind of like a normal like unnatural not unnaturally, like very naturally, but like they're they're kind of geniuses. <laughs> oh,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. So I was reading that Dark Nature was part of the Fantastic Seven program at Cannes. Yeah. Um, can you talk a bit about that? Like, I, I'd never heard of that program yeah. before.
1: Yeah, I didn't know a lot about it either, but I guess there's just seven different film festivals around the world, and they each will submit one genre piece or a film oh. for this sort of Fantastic Seven. And so Tiff picked us, and... Yeah, that was really, really great. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to go because I just had my baby. Oh, yeah. yeah, I had him in March. And so <laughs> I, was, um, I wasn't I was there, but oh. apparently it went well. And we got a lot of in- our international sales.
0: That is really cool. Yeah, yeah. I also was pregnant during the shoot. Yeah, so how is that? I mean, you hiking up and down all the time, too.
1: <laughs> I know. I was really lucky to have a good pregnancy. So, and I was just at the start of my second trimester, which is, like, the easy part of pregnancy. Oh, okay. They call it the honeymoon part of your pregnancy. <laughs> the beginning you feel is when people feel sick. Then the end is when you're like, oh, this is, I'm, you just, it's hard. It is definitely hard. The last three weeks pregnancy, I was like, this is not fun. <laughs> no. This is no longer fun. It's no longer cute. Like, it's just so, like, everything's so slow. Cannot move side to side. I think that's what. If anyone out there is listening, they're gonna have a baby or their partner's gonna have a baby. Just know it's like really hard to sleep because every time you have to move to your side, you have to like stop and kind of like carry the stomach over, move over. Oh wow!
0: Yeah, But second trimester.
1: Like I didn't even tell anybody I was pregnant till like halfway through the shoot because huh. I just I didn't want it to influence how people felt or make me stand out in any way. You know, whether they treated me like with more like kid gloves or just anything. I just didn't want to bring that in. And then once we kind of gelled as a group and I started to know people and I felt like it was going well, I told everyone it gave my producer a heart attack, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems to have worked out all good.
1: Yeah. It's (laughs) cool to know, like, oh, he was there for that. I love that. And, um, yeah, it's really, he's he's a little trooper, that one.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. So you had your premiere at the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal. Were you able to travel to that? I was with my baby. Yeah, I was
1: able to go with him. Yeah. And so it was so much fun. I recommend if you're a film fan, just like I want to go again just as a fan and get a pass and just like wait in the lines and get in and go because it is like just such a vibrant festival. Mm -hmm. I'd heard that about it. So I was really excited that was our premiere. Yeah. But it's just, like, it's very low-key. Like, it's not, there's no red carpets or anything Mm. like that, which I was like, oh, we have one red carpet. But but then everyone kind of just, there's, like, a pub nearby that people just go hang out with after the movie. So all the filmmakers and fans, like, everyone's just hanging out. Um, Yeah, but it's just, like, it's a really long festival. It's, like, two and a half weeks, I think, if not longer. That is pretty long. It's very, very long, yeah. Yeah. And um, you could just be going all day, seeing movies, (laughs) discovering things. Q and A's. Um, I could not recommend that more.
0: Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I also wanted to talk about. So you're going to be playing at SIF. Yeah. But it's not your first time at SIF. That's right. Yeah. It's true. So Is that my third, second, second. I only found glamorous Gladys. Yes. That's the one. Okay. I don't I know if sure there was if my another other one. little
1: duck went, but no, it didn't go there.
0: Okay, yes. so yeah, well, yeah. so "Glamorous Gladys" is a documentary. Yes. can you talk a little bit about that? Like, yeah, it's very you. different from horror. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it is, and that one was really—I um, co-directed that with Mikael Lavi, and she works, or uh, the, has the business, also "Sidewalk Citizen," oh, a nice. amazing restaurant and, yeah. and bakery. Um, and she's just an incredible artist and person. And she actually met this woman, Gladys, who is in her nineties and was still singing and was just really inspired by her and thought she was a real character and um, this was right when I moved back to Calgary after film school and Mikael was like I want to make a movie with you I make movies too let's make a movie let's do it so I um, shot that one and then um, co-directed it with Mikael. and we just followed Gladys she's so glamorous she's just like beautiful she has these feather boas and jewelry and she's um, singing with um, her local like performance group, and they put on a show at the end of the year, a senior show. And yeah, she just she just gave us that access and sort of told us her life story, which she's very much a singer from day one and an, an artist and had the chance, I think, to go with Benny Goodman.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, and
1: his traveling sort of. So she really could have been like a massive star in the 40s and yeah. 50s, but she, um, her dad said no. And, uh, yeah, but it's, that's what I was sort kind of like, oh, that's so sad. She's like, no, my dad was right. Like, that wouldn't have been good, a good life for a, a young girl like me. I would have, <laughs> you know, just done tour with all these, like, older male musicians. Oh. And um, she ended up being married and having kids. And she's just always singing and just, like, loved her life. She had a really amazing approach to life.
0: Oh, wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to get a hold of that movie. <laughs> yeah, I can send it to you. Oh,
1: cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. i got it,
0: I think, on my Vimeo. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay perfect yeah. maybe we can link to that so everybody okay, yeah, can yeah that's it. great yeah and then I have the other little doc
1: um that can do um cook in the quest
0: oh great uh,
1: did you read, see that one or I, I haven't, haven't seen it now yeah, I read about it <laughs> yeah that's also with um um Cree elder Doreen Spence she's here in town mm-hmm. and my friend Michelle Scott and Doreen um which I call her grandmother she runs vision quests and is a sort of like spiritual and like, community leader So that documentary is just about people preparing. It was actually about several people preparing for the vision quest, Mm -hmm. but because it was a short, we ended up just focusing on uh, Michelle's story in the year leading up to the vision
0: quest. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you have, okay. I sorry in advance. (laughs) Do you have like a funny or embarrassing festival story from your past?
1: Let's see. Oh, I actually have a good one. Okay. Okay. So I, there's a book, by Barbara Walters called How to Talk to Practically Anyone About Practically Anything. Okay. It's actually amazing. It's very 70s kind of like self-help but it's also taken from all these anecdotes that she has um, from meeting and interviewing like literally every walk of life And like every person, so she'll be like a chapter like how to talk to the tycoon's wife, (laughs) how to talk to the elderly,
0: how to talk to teens.
1: And it's like I kind of like rolled my eyes when I saw the cover and read it. But then I was like, (laughs) oh, my God, this is actually like so insightful and so interesting and really thinking about it as just manners and respect and learning how to sort of just put people at ease. Mm. So I really wanted to adapt this book. And I was like, it could be like a little, almost like a comedy sketch, or I don't know, something like fun. Yeah. And I was literally reading the book, had it in a cab as I went to go down to, I think it was the um, New York Film Fest um, at Lincoln Center. And I got out of my cab, and Barbara Walters is standing right there. Oh, okay. And I had her book in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, Barbara like, <laughs> Walters. Oh my God! Hi, and she was like, oh, and she had a friend with her. She's like, oh God, like some like groupie was like following Barbara, and I was oh like, no, goodness. I just got in the cab. I was like, Barbara, I have your book, and I showed it to her, and she kind of was like, what? And then she looked at it and she saw the cover, and her face like totally changed. She was like, oh, that one,
0: yeah. <laughs> I
1: was like, I love this book. I want to adapt it. And then her friend came and was kind of like, we we need to go. We oh no. just like left. <laughs> I was
0: like,
1: wow, what oh. are the odds?
0: That's, yeah, that's a wild coincidence. <laughs> yeah.
1: and it's just in so New York, like crazy things happen in New York. Celebrity sightings—you see those celebrities; they're out there.
0: Oh wow! Yeah,
1: I saw Ryan Gosling at the spray tan place. Okay. Yeah, I got a spray tan, and so does coupon. he. Yeah, he was going in for a spray tan.
0: <laughs> yes, he was. Ooh, so he had
1: the blonde hair. Yeah, I saw Gwyneth Paltrow at the playground. Who else did I see? <laughs> I was like, I know I'm going to run into ba- like. Yeah, say Jay-Z,
0: but I, I never did. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that just means you have to go back. <laughs> I, go back. No, I think you live in LA now. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I just have a couple more questions. Okay. One is who would be your dream collaborator for a film? Mm,
1: dream collaborator. Mm. I think any producer who is experienced and can like nurture that would be incredible just to to have that sort of um, as you go on to like bigger and bigger things, just like find that that kind of producing partner. Okay. I think would be for any director, it's like the genius that someone wants to like really produce your films and really support. And yeah. I think that's really like my producer Mike Peterson did such an incredible job. But he's also a director himself. Oh cool. So um I think it would be interesting to work with a producer who just wants to produce.
0: Mm, okay.
1: That would be pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, that's great. So then, last question is, uh, what's next for you? Uh, yes,
1: we yeah. Talked about this a little, so yeah. I think um, for me, I've been working for a while um, with um, Michelle Thrush here in town on an adaptation of the book Half Breed mm-hmm. by Maria Campbell, cool. and that's been really incredible experience. Um, mainly just to become close with Maria and get to know her, um, and just sort of really dig into that mid century. Um, indigenous experience from a Métis or a mitchef perspective, mm-hmm. and just it's so it's so interesting. There's so many stories and people and characters from our part of the world that like have not. It's not even been explored at all on film. Right. Yeah, and like that we are now at this time where we can be here and telling these stories. I think the whole world will be totally fascinated, and and like it's just so interesting. And I think. Especially thinking about like the activism that was happening in the '40s, '30s, like on prairie activism and their influence from communism, which I feel like at the time no one knew where that it was not going to work out in. The, that, like they didn't know what Stalin was going to do, but I think like the core communist principles really spread through the prairies. That's why we have healthcare the way we do today. Oh yeah. Like and even and for um, the indigenous activists, the things that they were doing were just so well thought out and mm. so. Strategical and so advanced, like I feel like we're just still at a place where it's like we need to understand what happened and how it happened, right? And what people were very actively saying and doing at the time because mm-hmm. I think that part of the history has not been shown,
0: right? Yeah, and
1: it's really inspiring, yeah. yeah. So I'm really excited to tell a story like Half Breed. Um, and then there's the creepy there pasta anthology that my short film, the Grey Man, is part of, and that'll be doing the festival circuit right now and that was really fun um I worked with Jill Maria here in town um she's an actor and my and my husband shot it um David Bond wrote it he's a guy in Edmonton that I absolutely love and work with uh, I call him my horror sensei
0: okay yeah he's just
1: like lives and breathes horror and wow. is like a walking encyclopedia and <laughs> just has so much passion for horror nice um yeah and then I'm also doing um this a uh, Warner Brothers initiative, it's a Warner Brothers with Canadian Academy, so they've picked, um, I think, eight of us, eight directors, um, and we're, we'll be working on a TV show. Um, it's sort of, it's just a cohort, like, where we get, uh, and we get paid, which is nice as well, <laughs> which is, like, always the other part of this, right, like, yeah. <laughs> making a living. Um, and I'm doing the TIFF Talent Accelerator Writer Studio, which oh, I think I'll be taking yeah so it's a fun year i'm looking forward to this year
0: yeah you have a lot on the go a lot on the go
1: and i guess that's how it is right you just have to keep going and putting things out there because things that are supposed to happen next month get canceled and don't happen for two years or all of a sudden you you're needed here and i think just
0: yeah just making a living
1: being able to switch between being like a creator and just also a journeyman like you need a director i can come what do you want let me do that for you. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and I, I actually really, really enjoy that as well. So it's a that's lot good. shorter and there's a lot less pressure in some ways. Oh, of Just course. Just more has to be like, what do you want? You want that? Like, I can go make you that. You don't <laughs> have to invent the, the recipe.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I like um, it. Cool. Well, the only thing left to do is if you have any plugs, like Mm -hmm. perhaps you want people to follow you on social media. All right. Yes, I should start my social media for Nika
1: Productions. I think it's
0: (laughs) Nika Understore Productions. Okay. Uh, You're going to list it in the the listings. I will. If that's incorrect, don't worry, it'll be (laughs) in the episode description. You can click on it right away.
1: (laughs) I have have a website too, nikaproductions.co. And I I put stills and things up there. I just sort of like update that to, to keep it kind of um almost more like even a scrapbook for myself to see like what have I been doing or oh. what do I think is cool. That's great. Yeah and the plugs I say I watch Secret History. I did not direct this episode this season but uh my husband shot the the series and he's awesome in Lister.
0: Okay. Very nice. That's it. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um actually can I ask where yeah. the name Nika Productions came from? Yeah
1: that's a great question. So I had a dog when I lived outside of um Edmonton and her name was Nika, and I think she was a puppy when I was a baby. Okay, but just like they just got her, so we kind of grew up together. But she became like my spirit animal, which is just the most amazing, most loyal, and most intelligent, really wonderful creature. And so um, I always just I think of her, and I just I have a great feeling. And um, then I got the artist um, Hallie Finney, who is in Edmonton. She did my logo. And some drawings around just my memories of Nika and the the old acreage. And so that's that's
0: that. Lovely. But yeah. Well, I'm glad I asked. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, well, Berkeley, thank you so much for joining okay. me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, be sure to check out Dark Nature on the festival circuit. Um, and I'm sure it will come out wide release Hopefully soon.
1: Yeah. it will also once, um, I'm not sure what our sales will be for um, the US, but it will be on Super Channel. We did a pre-sale with them. So in Canada and Super Channel, um, definitely by the spring.
0: Oh, very cool. Okay. Well then check it out on Super Channel. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Repodcasting is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Welcome to Super Typical mega Bank. How can we disappoint you today? Hi, I'd like to open an account.
1: May I pressure you into considering a pro-disadvantage, high-regret, impersonal, everyday, inconvenient savings plan with added compound and confusion at no additional discount or apology? It's one of our top disappointers. I feel so... Disappointed? Yeah. Another unsatisfied customer. Next!
0: If your bank makes you feel like this, it's time you talk to us. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future.